1: everyone and welcome to series three of give me strength i am so excited to be back we took a little break i know it's been a while but we're back with lots of juicy episodes for you all to enjoy discussing all things strength and what strength means to my guests as well as delving off into other topics that i know you're going to find interesting so stay tuned there'll be a new episode every week and thank you so much for listening Whilst I am pretty sure that you all know me as a morning person, I love an early start. Lockdown has meant that my morning routine has often been thrown out the window, which can leave my days feeling a bit chaotic. I can't count how many times I've been messaged by you guys asking how I managed to make myself a morning person, which I am not always, I promise. And so I thought I'd join forces with the queen of the morning routine for an episode to kickstart your motivation and help you all to develop some lockdown structure. My guest today is a ball of energy who I hope will provide you with some much needed motivation for the next few months. She is the host of top podcast, Power Hour, and author of her debut book, also titled Power hour a TEDx speaker a mother wellness consultant personal trainer coach and all-round voice of inspiration and encouragement you guessed it it is the wonderful Adrienne Herbert Adrienne how are you Alice, what a
0: fantastic introduction. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I've actually been on a a very cold, brisk walk with my son. It looks beautiful today, the blue skies and sun, but it's absolutely freezing. So I'm now uh, warming up and yeah, happy to be talking to you.
1: I know. It's that point of lockdown where going outside is a struggle and getting outside is the thing that makes me feel alive and feel like motivated or whatever, but it's just so cold and miserable. And I'm finding that probably the hardest part right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people will be feeling the same and we shouldn't say, oh, you know, the weather shouldn't dictate your mood, but it really does for so many of us. I know that for me, if I open, the, you know, I'm I'm often up before the sun, but once the sun's up, if the sky's blue and if the sun shines, you just feel a little bit more, I don't know, you just feel like you can take on the day and everything just feels a little
1: bit better. And today is definitely one of those days. Completely. Now, talking of the sun coming up, I recently read your book. In fact, I had your book read to me by your audiobook, which was fab, <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. And I feel really inspired by your journey. And also, you really made me want to get up and just do something. And your practical advice was great for feeling as though I could be more productive. So I absolutely loved it. Could you maybe talk to me a little bit about how the power hour started and what exactly it is?
0: Yes, absolutely. So. The Power Hour concept itself is about reclaiming your time and taking the first hour of each day, dedicating that hour to yourself to do something, anything that you love and to focus on your goals and to create a life that you love. So what does that mean? Basically, it's all about you know, as I say, the first hour. That doesn't mean a specific time for me. It is early. I'm an early riser, and it's half past five to half past six. But for other people who I know have adopted this this practice of doing a power hour, it's whatever time you you want it to be. But it's one hour before you need to start your day. So for anyone listening who doesn't know much about me, what I do, my journey, but. I I have a nine-year-old son. So it was probably about four or five years ago when I first started the power hour. And I'll come on to talking to you about why. Mm. But then I'd say he used to wake up at about half past six. So when people say to me, why is it half past five? That's the reason because it had to have the hour before he woke up. And so in that hour, I think that it's really important to try and eliminate distraction. As I say, have focused time, which is for you to do whatever it is that will take you closer to your goal. Whatever it is, I believe everyone has something that they want to do and they wish and they say, oh, if I had more time or if there was more hours in the day. So whatever that thing is, that's what I encourage people to to focus on. And I just, I think that the way we all live now, there's so many demands on our time. From the minute we open our eyes in the morning, there's things, you know, whether it's emails whatsapps kids responsibilities commitments errands there's so many demands on our time and this kind of obligation and feeling to be available and to Mm. be able to you know for everyone to be able to access you 24 7 there's no expectation on my time at that time it's just for me so if i want to read for a whole hour uninterrupted or if i want to roll out the mat and do a, a really long stretch or a pilates class or go for a run or work on a passion project write notes whatever it is I really feel like I get so much out of the hour. I get so much done. It's so productive, as you say. But also, it's almost like a just a time when I can be selfish with my time and not feel like I have to be on demand or be available for anybody else. So that's, in a nutshell, what the what the Power Hour concept is. And to give a bit of context, I guess, as to how and why it started for me, about five years ago, I was, I'll be really honest, you know, I was in a place in my life where I didn't feel great. I'd had a really, really challenging year before. Um, my husband and I had been trying to, to get pregnant. And if anyone who's read the book, you know, if you've read the introduction, then you'll know uh, that I'd, I'd had IVF treatment. And that is so, so challenging for any women who have been through IVF treatment. I salute you. It is such a tough thing to, to go through. It really takes a lot of courage and it's, it's hard. And the treatment itself was successful, but a few weeks later, I had a miscarriage and lost the pregnancy. And I just remember feeling like in the year leading up to it, I'd put absolutely everything into that. That was the goal. That was the dream. That was all I wanted was for my son to have a sibling. You know, people, um, you know, w- when you're gonna have another one, or when you're gonna have another baby, and oh, you know, you love kids. When you're gonna have another one? And people don't know when they ask you that. You know, they don't know that you've been trying to get pregnant for three years, mm-hmm. or that you've just had a, a miscarriage. And actually, somebody asked me. I think it was. I think I was having a physio, I was having a a physiotherapy massage. And the lady said, Oh, I followed you on Instagram. I saw you've got a really cute little boy. She was like, have you, have you only got one, one? And I said, yeah, I've got one. And she said, Oh, when are you going to have another one? And -hmm. it was literally like a week or two after having this miscarriage. And I just thought, you know what? I was so fed up of feeling fed up basically. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like this is everything I want and nothing else is going to come close to filling this gap for me. But I was also like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I've always been a proactive person. I've always been an optimist. And I kind of think I felt like I wasn't myself. I was so fed up all the time. I was just like, enough is enough, Adrian. You need to, you know, draw a line in the sand. And as much as I didn't want to give up on the idea, I just thought this is actually having such a detrimental effect on everything else in my life. Relationships, mm-hmm. friendships, work, friends that are pregnant. I was jealous of them. and It's just, it was really just dark. And I was like, you know what, I need to make a change. I can either stay fixated on this one thing to the detriment of everything else in my life, or I can shift my focus, shift my mindset. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to focus on something else. And for me at the time that was running, I I wasn't really a big runner at the time. I think I you know probably used to run like 5k once a week, but I got the opportunity to run the London Marathon. And I thought, you know what, if I can just channel all of my focus and energy and attention and everything into this, then for now, it'll be a welcome distraction. It'll be something that I can talk about instead of talking about pregnancy and babies, and I can just focus on running. So I really threw myself into that. And actually, it's interesting because, you know, as I say, that was almost five years ago. And actually, in fact, it was five years ago. And now I just think my whole life has changed as a result. You know me and, you know, I've had so many Wonderful opportunities because of Mm -hmm. running and because of Mm -hmm. sharing my passion for running. You know, I've been able to travel the world, do races in 16 different countries. I've worked with some of the biggest sports brands in the world. I've raised money for charities through running. I've met new friends through running. It's honestly changed my life. And Mm -hmm. if someone had said to me then, you know what, you're going to start something else. You're going to start a new career. It's going to give you a whole, I would have just thought, Oh, whatever. I don't want it. I just want a baby. But actually looking back now, five years later, it's so interesting that because I was, yeah, I guess willing to take that opportunity and willing to shift my focus. The only way I was going to be able to train for that race was by getting up early was by doing my, you know, do my run in the morning before, before the rest of my day. Mm. And I guess, yeah, it was the catalyst for change and so many things changed as a result. And, as you say, went on to starting the podcast and discovering other people's mornings and what they do in their morning routine to help them achieve success.
1: And then now on to to publishing the book. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. And I think one thing that I really resonated with your story was that sometimes out of challenging times come the moments where we really have to instigate change and we really have to look inside ourselves and say, where I am right now isn't a good place. What can I do differently? And I really resonated with that. I remember my kind of moment where I discovered just getting up a little bit earlier and reclaiming some time to myself was when I was away on tour, and I was just so lonely and so uh, miserable. And even just getting up at six and suddenly taking that hour to myself, like I can completely relate with what you were saying about just having some time with yourself and to really check in because otherwise, when do you get a chance? And the other thing that I love about everything you've spoken about is it's not about being more busy. It's not about wearing busy as a badge of of honor. It's actually about whatever it is that you want to do for you within that hour. So I think a lot of people have this perception of, you know, if you get up early, you're in the rat race and you're kind of, you're trying to get ahead of everyone else and you're having to work harder and do more hours or whatever. But I like that, the power hour for you isn't about that. It's not about how productive you can be. It's about just taking time to get yourself in the best place possible to then start your day in the best way possible. And I really, really love that. Yeah, absolutely. Alice, you you know, I couldn't have
0: said it better myself. I definitely think that that's almost a bit of the antidote to it. You know, I think that was the message. I was a bit concerned people might think, oh, Power Hour, that it's, you know, encouraging people to get up early just to just to be up early, do more, work more, hustle more. And it's Mm. actually the antidote to that. It's this idea that. You know, I'm someone who has big ambition. I always say to people that the sky's the limit. I encourage people. I see people's potential actually before they do. And I say to them, go for it. You know, Go for that job, book that ticket, start that thing. You're great. I'm the person who will do that because <laughs> I believe that we should. You know, I believe we only have one life to live. And I mean, that's a whole nother story for you. But lots of experiences in my life have taught me that you don't know what, what is around the corner. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So this idea that, you know, I think I've gotten quite fixated, I guess, on this concept of time. And although it's just one hour, people will say, oh, really? How impactful can one hour be? I actually think that it's it's so much more than that because mm. it's about prioritization and saying this is important to me and therefore I'm going to do it first thing in the morning and I'm going to start now. I'm not going to wait till I'm older or until my kids have grown up or until I've got more money or until I've lost weight. Like I hear that so often I'm going to wait and I'm going to do it when, you know, the things mm-hmm. that people say, oh, I'd love to do the dream list or oh, when, 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 but too often for people tomorrow stays tomorrow and it never becomes a reality. So as much as I'm not saying to people, yeah, get up, just do more, be productive. What I am saying to people is choose yourself, choose something that you want to do and you deserve it. You owe it to yourself. You're going to live this life once. It's not selfish. It's not Mm self-indulgent. It is essential. You know, how do you want to feel? How, how do you feel? Actually when you wake up in the morning before you even put your feet on the floor, how do you feel? How are you Mm -hmm. feeling? Are you excited to start your day? Do you dread starting your day? Because I think that's something that is actually really sad. I've witnessed that a lot. And a lot of people will say that, you know, This year has been exceptional. So
1: aside Mm. from that,
0: feeling that way, if you feel that way every day, that's your life. That is essentially your life. You're going to experience this life once. So as much as it is just one hour a day, like don't underestimate the impact that that can have on your career, on your relationships, on your mindset, on what you believe actually is possible for yourself and your life. Because that's certainly what happened to me within the first year of doing that power hour. So much changed. As I described, you know, how I was feeling before, I felt so empowered because it was, I was choosing myself. I was saying, yes, I'm going to train for this race. Yes, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read this book or I'm going to do an online course or I'm going to watch TEDx talks to feel inspired or I'm going to send out emails and reach out to people and submit work to publication. I'm just going to choose whatever I want. And that hour, within a year, my whole life changed.
1: Yeah, and it adds up. And I think, you know, you went through something that was incredibly traumatic and really where you probably put other priorities ab- above your own. You you know, you sort of put yourself and your needs below those of getting pregnant or, or or achieving the things that you thought everyone else around you wanted you to do. And I'm sure you wanted yourself as well. But I guess bringing it back to the power out, like, as you said, which I think is such a, a nice way to round it up is choosing yourself first, that that mm-hmm. first hour of the day is about choosing you and then everyone else can come after that. And it's important that, you know, you, you should be giving to other people too. But as long as you choose yourself first, in that first hour, you know, it's about your priorities first, your needs, checking in with yourself so you can be a better person for everyone else around you. Now, going on to a typical morning, you've talked about your power hour, you've explained what it is, and it all sounds very enticing. But can you Mm -hmm. tell us what a typical morning looks like for you within your power hour? What are some of your non-negotiables? Sure, absolutely. So Non-negotiable, well, I'll kick off with that first
0: because it's one that I've had to be super strict with because it just makes so much of a difference and that is my phone. So non-negotiable, I plug my phone in in, in the evening on in the hallway on charge and in the morning, the first hour, I don't look at it. I don't touch it. I don't pick it up. I don't go anywhere near it. I have an alarm clock in my bedroom. So the non-negotiable is don't go onto your phone. There is nothing there that cannot wait for one hour. So that's the first thing. But I go into the bathroom and I usually put cold water on my face. I'm not quite full on cold shower, cold therapy yet, but I do splash cold water on my face and I often do some fast nasal breathing. So it's nothing fancy. It's literally just breathing in breathing out breathing in breathing out but it's quite a forceful fast rhythm and -hmm. it's like a Wim Hof method and I do like 15 breaths in and out twice and then often as well whilst I'm doing that I'll just pick a word or a phrase and I think about for example what I'm doing that day And I'll just pick one word or one phrase that I want to kind of yeah think about for a few minutes and then that's it that's the fancy bit over I head downstairs I will either lace up my shoes. I usually lay everything out so that I don't have to have any decision fatigue. I don't have to look for things. I'm not looking for headphones or anything like that. I just have it there ready to go. And either head out for my run, or if it's not a running day, then I will often just do a mobility, a bit of a stretch, a bit of Pilates. It's kind of a bit of a hybrid. It's not always a specific set of exercises, but mm. it's always movement. And for me, I just know, I mean, you're the same, but I know the power of movement and I know how essential movement is for everything else. My mood, hormone regulation, appetite, sleep, you name it, movement is just absolutely essential. I believe for all humans, you know, our bodies are born to move. So the first hour, always movement. And then yeah, usually Jude's then up. So anything can happen after that. Our (laughs) days, uh, you know, day changes depending on what the schedule is. But that's pretty much in a nutshell, what it what it looks like for me.
1: I love that. And I like how you describe it as movement as well. I think we're kind of moving away from calling it, you know, exercise or working out. And it is just about movement because some days that will be dripping with sweat and going for a, either a fast run or doing some kind of high intensity exercise or whatever. But other days it can just be really slow, gentle, you know, like you said, taking a nice stretch or having just a moment even to breathe. Like I love that breath is part of your morning routine. It's something that I really am starting to think about more particularly as someone who suffers with big bouts of anxiety mm-hmm. just learning about the power of breath has been so crucial to trying to manage that for me and like you said being able to start your day for me particularly with some really big slow deep breaths rather than the quick ones is personally what I find really gets me in a, a calmer state I can often wake up and you know the first thing that comes into your head is like oh my god I need to do this I need to do that I need to do this mm-hmm. if I just sort of stop my brain and that sort of like monkey mind and go, okay, I'm going to breathe for 20 seconds I'm just going to do it big deep breaths within an instant I can feel myself just starting to slowly calm down and to feel myself sort of checking back in and being able to be like okay I can manage this yeah and it's interesting that you say that Alice about you know you doing that
0: slow breath and 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 calming kind of your nervous system because breath as you know is super powerful and so when we feel afraid our breath changes when we feel excited our breath changes like it's always fluctuating and so Mm. we can impact our state and shift how we feel just by shifting our breathing pattern so the reason you know as you said you do the slow breath to, to center and ground yourself and actually for me the reason I do the more forceful 15 fast breaths is because as much as I love getting up early as much as I've been doing it for such a long time and I see the value and I talk about it all day every day, and day I've written a whole book about it it doesn't mean that my body is just like jumping out of bed doing a cartwheel I'm still waking up so I feel like actually when I do that it forces like it's like just oxygen 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 and it almost feels a little bit like, uh, I've heard it being described before as priming and it's just like forces, yeah, oxygen into the brain. And then it wakes me up. So it's like, some people might have a coffee or, but that's why I do that fast breathing pattern.
1: Yeah, I've been watching Joe Wicks on Instagram and he's doing some of the Wim Hof stuff. He's got like an ice bath and I've seen him doing some of the breathing. And Mm. whilst it does look kind of a bit silly and you're like, oh God, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. I can definitely understand the benefits of it. And I think, yeah, it's great to see people really embracing that sort of stuff. Now, we are obviously coming at this from a slightly biased perspective in that we are both morning people. And I think there are gonna be many, many people listening who are like, yeah, you know what? Sounds cool, but I'm not a morning person, which I'm sure you hear all all the time. So for those who aren't great first thing in the morning, what are some of your tips that you give people to just make those first alarms a little bit easier?
0: Yes, it's a great question, and it definitely is one that I'm getting used to answering. So, for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, we've both got a performance background, but I used to be a performer, a dancer. I was in the West End. I was in the West End show, "We Will Rock You," and I used to finish the show, curtain down, at ten twenty-five. Then I used to dressing room, get changed, get the train, get home. I used to arrive home at midnight eat a bowl of cereal, and I'd still be high on adrenaline and cortisol. And I was wide awake at midnight. And I lived that kind of dancer performance nocturnal life for years, years. And so it is possible to shift from one sleep pattern to another. It's not because then I would have said, oh, I'm a night owl. Of course, I'm a night owl. I don't even feel tired at midnight. Now, oh my goodness, now I'm in bed before 10. And the thought of, you know, if I'm, if I'm up at midnight, it's a very special occasion. So I think um, you can definitely shift it. But for anyone who says like, okay, I'm not a morning person or, or at the moment, they're not. There's a few things to consider. One is that, unfortunately, the world is kind of working against us when it comes to going to bed. There are so many distractions and things that are just tempting us to stay awake, whether it's Netflix, whether it's Instagram, whether it's, I don't know, WhatsApp message with 10 friends. There's so many things just saying like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And we almost have to like police ourselves like a child. If you have kids, you wouldn't just let them stay up all night doing whatever they want. And for me, I definitely had to do that I had to just get real with myself about what do you want and what's important to you and what is going to help you get there and now for me, I can be quite robotic and quite all or nothing when it comes to you know like I say setting goals and I've got big ambition and I want to achieve a lot so I kind of thought well Adrienne, you're not going to be able to do those things if you're yeah if you don't get real with yourself what are you really doing in the evening and you know I would say oh I'm working you know i'm a, I'm writing my blog but the reality was it was like you're scrolling on your phone. You're looking at ASOS. You might have the telly on. You're not doing much. You know what I mean? And then I'd go, "Oh, I'm working."
1: Half like my life. <laughs> your laptop's open,
0: working. And I'd be like, "Get real! You are not working. You're faffing." And so, yeah, I definitely got real about the evenings and just thought, put simply, yes or no: Is this going to take you closer towards a goal? Is this going to take you towards creating a life you love? Is this going to take you towards becoming the person that you want to be? If the answer is no, you just have to be honest with yourself. I think so often, especially now, like we don't want to be honest with ourselves. It's almost like, oh, well, you know, make an excuse. And what about this? And I I don't know, it might might not be the most popular answer. But the reality is what it says people is just just do a bit of an audit, a bit of an audit. Like, how do you actually feel? Do you feel good all the time? Do you have energy when you wake up in the morning? Do you feel excited Mm. to do things? If you do, then awesome. You know, your routine's working for you. But if you don't, then I'd really challenge people to say, you know what, give it a try, like be open-minded. And if you practically, just practical points, if you want to start getting up a little earlier, do not miss out on sleep. Sleep underpins our health, physical and mental. So don't cut down on your sleep, but start to bring your bedtime back a bit, maybe half an hour earlier, 45 minutes, then an hour, you know, slowly, slowly bring your bedtime back and bring your alarm clock back as well. So you're not missing out on sleep. And, you know, I think now, People know a lot more about sleep hygiene. So things like not having blue screens at night, you know, making your bedroom inviting and put some plants in there, get a candle, make your bed sheets nice, like make it an environment that you want to go to bed. And I think the last thing I say practically is, try to eliminate things in your bedroom that remind you of work or if there's clutter in your bedroom, try to get rid of that. If you've got piles of papers and books and things that you kind of think, oh, I need to get do this and oh, I need to send that or try and just get rid of that if you can, even if you just have to put it all in a box and put it under the bed. But I think laying in bed, often people will say, well, I don't go to bed early, Adrian, because I can't sleep straight away. Like I can't switch off. So they stay up until they're absolutely exhausted so that when mm-hmm. their head hits the pillow, they just fall asleep straight away. So, yeah, I think if it's the case for you and you want to go to bed earlier, but you can't sleep, then, yeah, start thinking about those kind of things. Like create a wind down routine so that you can have your power hour in the morning.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was exactly the same as you. I actually found it probably the one, one of the most challenging things about being in the arts and being in a show was the shift and the change, because I've always been a morning person. But suddenly finishing the show at 10 o'clock, by the time you get home, and normally we'd go out for some drinks after the show, it'd be like midnight. You can't come down from that. So you sort of try and do everything in your power. So I would be on my phone. And then by the time you get to it, it's one o'clock. And then I would be getting up early again, because my body would be programmed to do that. And I think at the time I was sort of like, I can go without sleep. I don't need much sleep. It's almost like, again, going back to the busy thing, it's like you wear it like a badge of honor. Oh God, I only got five hours sleep, that kind of thing. And actually it was only probably in the last couple of years that I have really started to recognize the power of sleep and what it can do for me mentally, physically, emotionally, all of those things. And I love hearing about people that really try and promote sleep as a crucial part of health. I'm sure many people listening know that my journey of health was very much down one track. And I recognized that actually, oh, no, those things definitely weren't healthy. And in my kind of learning and understanding what health really is, especially for me personally, sleep became a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. And I love hearing about, you know, the fact that it doesn't have to be that you put a huge pressure on yourself to sleep, because I think that in itself can actually make people then not sleep. But just mm. about tiny tricks, you know, take it half an hour earlier. I know you've had her on your podcast, um, Dr. Sophie Bostock, who is amazing. And she talked about this idea that we build sleep pressure throughout the day. Yeah. And actually, if you're then on using blue light and watching screens and kind of stimulating your mind late on in the evening, that stops that sleep pressure from building and really can affect you then being able to fall asleep. So I think, yeah, really, really good tips about trying to get to bed earlier. But another thing that I would say, especially with um, people who aren't morning people is to try and remove the pressure of being what you think a morning person is. You know, even you've said here, as much as I get out of bed, I'm not fully awake when I get out of bed. I do some breathing. I splash my face with cold water. Like maybe it's those things that you need to do. Like don't feel that you have to jump out of bed every day being like, good morning. (laughs) That is just about, okay, what can you do when you wake up to get you in a state to be like, right, I can get on with my day. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And
0: like you mentioned with the introduction of, you know, going to bed a bit earlier, like I call it micro steps. Maybe for some people listening to this, they're like, you know what? I'm never going to be a morning person ever, ever, ever. And I'd still say to them, come on, be open minded, give it a go. And I'd say, like, just start with one day a week. So every Wednesday, that's your power hour day. And maybe you just die for one day. Or for some people, I'll say, just start with 20 minutes, but do it every day. Like figure out, depending on your personality type, if you're an all or nothing person, if you like to kind of shock and jump into something both feet or whether you like to do step by step by step. So there's options and entry points and ways to start doing this. But also if it's never ever going to work for you for whatever reason right now, maybe you've got, a six-month-old baby that wakes up in the night, or maybe you work shifts and actually you don't finish working as we say until late. Maybe you can still take the principles of the power hour—the kind of you know ring fencing one hour a day and dedicating it to yourself and eliminating distraction maybe for you that comes later. Maybe it is that the only way you can do that is later in the day. And if that is the case, then it's still better. I think there's still merit in doing it. But I will always advocate for the first hour because as we've discussed, I just think it sets the tone for the rest of the day. And it's so impactful on yeah everything else that follows. But I don't want people to kind of think, well, if I'm not a morning person, or if I'm not able to do it right now,
1: then yeah, it's no good for me. Definitely, it is for everyone. But yeah, I guess it's it's kind of dependent on where you're at right now and how it can fit in where you're at right now. Mm. Now, I couldn't have you on the podcast and not talk about running because I know it's a huge uh, passion of yours. Yeah. It's something we talk about yes. a lot. As most listeners will probably know, I am not a runner. I find it incredibly challenging. And um, Adrienne inspires me so much. In fact, I'm actually going to uh, recall um, <laughs> Adrienne and I went on a press trip. When was this? Like two years ago? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go for a run and I was like okay I'm gonna do this if Adrian's running with me I'll maybe be a bit of a better runner so I'll try and I'll go with her so we got up early we were with AJ as well and we sat out on this run and probably about five minutes in I think I got a stitch and I was like you guys just go on I'll just run behind you (laughs) and I was like no way no one gets left behind when you run with me (laughs) but honestly it was a really fun experience and you are you are an amazing coach and encourager especially on that run where I did really struggle but for those who are listening who also may not be runners how did you start running and really how did you stick to it as a practice and make it enjoyable we'll be back after this welcome back to give me strength Yes. Great questions.
0: Okay. So I do love running and I could talk about it forever. And I think often people hear that and then they go, well, you must always have loved running, but I would love to share that my first run as in my first, I don't know, road run, Honestly, Alice, I was a hot mess. If you could have seen me, I didn't have, you know, like now I've got all the gear and everything. I didn't have all the gear then. So this is when my son was maybe one, nine months old. So yeah, I didn't have all the gear. I probably had some trainers and I had a pair of shorts, but I remember this specifically. I was wearing a vest from Topshop and it said something on the front, like love or something like that. But I just (laughs) had that. And then I had one of those armbands where you put your phone in the armband and then my headphones weren't wireless because that wasn't a thing then. So they were plugged into the armband. So there's like a wire that's like dripping and sweaty and like getting stuck everywhere. And off I went thinking like I've heard people talk about running and how you get the runners high and endorphins. And it's going to be great. And I'm going to put the tunes on. I've got Missy Elliott. Off I go. Like it's going to be like an advert. like You know, you see those inspiring adverts with the runners. And honestly, like five minutes in, I'm like, okay, I really want to stop. Okay, this is really hard. Okay, this is not fun at all. I think I was running too fast as well, because, you know, I'm Jamaican, but I've got a sprinter in me. So I think the only runs I'd done before that were probably at school, doing the 100 meter sprint a sports day, or at athletics at the track when I used to do a 100 meters. So I set off with this 100 meter pace, trying to go out for a 5k run. And honestly, it was a mess. So I remember coming back in the house and actually feeling quite annoyed. I was like, Wait, running's supposed to be great. And th- that, this is not great. I was really like, yeah, peed off. But I think moving on from that, you know, eight years later, and I'm still running and now running marathons and all of this. So that journey for me really was more about, okay. I want to get out of the house essentially at the time as well. I was like, I want to get out of the house. I want to be on my own. I want to have some solitude. Um, So off I went and then eventually I found a route that was two miles. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to just do that route. And then I realized what pacing actually was. And I was like, why don't you just chill out and jog a bit? So then I was like, okay, I'll jog this two miles. And then over the next few months, honestly, months, not days, not weeks, months, I just stuck with that two mile route. And eventually it was like, Oh, I'm going a little bit quicker or I'm coming back to the house after two miles and thinking, Hmm, that felt fine. I could do it again. So I just basically ran for myself. This was before there was, you know, like Strava and I just ran for me. Yeah. And once I discovered like, yeah, the whole world of like hashtag runners and run chat and yeah, Strava and all that, I think that's when I started to just go more and more into like, okay, I'm doing this run. I'm I'm actually really enjoying it. I just have like creative thoughts when I was out running or I'd listen to music. Then I discovered listening to audiobooks and podcasts. And as I say, the runs just got longer and quicker. And before I knew it, basically, I did a cancer research 5k and I actually did it for a friend whose two-year-old daughter actually had cancer and was having treatment. So I was like, right, I'm going to run it for her. Jude, my son was about two then, and he came to the finish line with a little cute sign, which was just so cute. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, right, if I can run 5k... Gosh, that felt like a marathon. Maybe I could do six k, and then I was like, if I could do six k, maybe I could run ten k. And I think I started to see myself doing things that I couldn't previously do, mm. and that confidence boost. Especially like I was a new mum; like I wasn't really working. You kind of lose a bit of identity sometimes when you when you become a mum and you become Jude's mum. Like I was talking to a friend the other day, and. We were both saying that it's interesting when you have a new baby, your name gets taken away from you for a little while and you're no longer Adrienne, you're Jude's mum. You know, you go to the doctors, it's Jude's mum. You go to nursery, it's Jude's mum. So yeah, I definitely felt like I was getting this bit of identity back about Adrienne. It was like, it was actually about me. Mm. And when I worked with other women and I started training other women, there was one lady I worked with who had three children. They were all under five, honestly, amazing woman. She'd gained a lot of weight throughout the five years with the pregnancies for lots of different reasons. But one being that she was very scared during her pregnancies because she'd had miscarriages before and she was very scared to do anything in her pregnancies. So she'd gained quite a lot of weight, I think about five stone. And she basically was like, I can't even run for 15 minutes or five minutes, let alone, you know, run a race. And I actually worked with her for six months and got her ready to do the Cambridge Race for Life again. And I'm telling you this because to see her run that race as a mother of three children who dedicated the last five years to them, to their needs, to food and nappies and this and that, that was the first time in five years when the whole family, their attention, their focus, their love, their everything was on her. Mm-hmm. and we ran the race together and when she got to the finish line her three little ones were there her husband was there and they were cheering her on and she she burst into tears because she was literally like it was all about her you know she got the medal she did something and she I think that was probably the first thing she'd achieved and felt a sense of achievement in years so it's not just about me and saying like oh this is my journey and now I run marathons and oh isn't it great like I've seen the power of running in other people's lives I've seen it change people's confidence, self-esteem, their mindset, their, their mental health improves. Like honestly, running has just been such a powerful tool for me. And over the years, you know, obviously there's ebbs and flows. You, you might have times where you run in lows, times where you're running less, but it's just become something that I always come back to. I know that if I go out the front door, set myself a goal of whether it's 30 minutes 60 minutes 90 minutes whatever I'm doing that day I feel like especially during lockdown having that forward motion it makes me feel like I'm literally progressing I'm moving towards something and away from something else and I never I can't articulate to you the feeling sometimes when I leave the house
1: I feel like a different person when I by the time I come back because it's that therapeutic for me I literally love that. And one of the things I wanted to pick up on there, which I think is a big part of run chat is there's such a focus on numbers and data. And actually, when I first started running, that was one of the things that really put me off. And actually now, you know, I do find data useful in some respects, but I try not to focus on it too much. And one of the things you just said was, you know, I go out for a 30 minute run or a 60 minute run. It's not about I'm going to do a really fast 10k or I'm going to do my fastest 5k in under 20 minutes or whatever it is. It's like, I'm going because movement is my medicine as such. And this is my time for me. And it's 30 minutes, whatever I do in that time. And I actually think sometimes, and I've had it with clients before as well, we've sort of swapped the mentality of being like running for a distance versus just running for a time. 30 minutes, you might walk a bit, you might run a bit, but at least you're out doing it. And I think that's a really nice way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And regardless of whether you're a beginner runner or an advanced runner or whatever, or whether you're returning to running after time off, it's interesting that you pointed that out, Alice, because I don't even think about... I honestly always talk about minutes over miles. So the minutes, because of my, whether it's my schedule, whether it's just the way my brain works, I always look at my week of runs and it's minutes. It's like, oh, I'm doing a 40 minute run then, I'm doing a 60 minute run then. Maybe it's like I said, how much time I've got. Uh, If I'm training for a race, like I'll run in the afternoon. And sometimes it's like, I've got 90 minutes. So that's how long I've got. But yeah, it's not about the distance. And actually when I talk to people about improving their running, like if you're a new runner and you, you know, your first thing is like run for five minutes, then run for five minutes. Then, you know, even if you're progressing over three months, every week aim to increase your time on your feet by 10%. That's what I say, time on your feet. How much time did you spend on your feet last week? Add 10% next week. Because if you progress that way, you're less likely to get injured. You'll improve cardiovascularly. But just, yeah, it just takes off that pressure. Like, forget, like, what does the distance even mean? Like, what does the pace even mean? It's so funny when we get into this thing of, you know, how fast did you do this? Or what's your, people will ask me on Instagram, obviously now, what's your PB for this? What's your time for a half marathon? What's your, and I'm thinking, do you realize when I run like a half marathon with, I don't know, I did one in Barbados with 8,000 runners, which is a small race, you know, mm. the London Marathon's 40, 40,000, but in Barbados there's 8,000 runners. And I'd say out of those runners, maybe a hundred of them are elite athletes. They are world class, world champion, Olympic training athletes. You ain't going to win. You ain't standing at the start line thinking, I'm going to win the London Marathon. You're just <laughs> out there. So I'm like, why are you asking me like what my time is? Who am I comparing yeah. myself to? Am I comparing myself to Mo Farah or to you know my next door neighbor? It's just so ridiculous, actually. So yeah, get the data.
1: Yeah. I feel like this can kind of transition into any exercise. Like why are we so obsessed with numbers and data and all this sort of stuff? It's really what, like, if we look at the fitness industry now, there's been like this massive shift to be like, how many kilograms are on your deadlift? And like, I've been guilty of it. I'm not going to sit here and say I haven't. Like there's definitely been times where those kind of things can be really helpful as a goal. But just as you've said there, it's a personal thing. You know, the one thing that I really hate, and I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to talk about an experience that I had where... A, I went to a spin class, right. I signed up and the woman said to me when I got there, she was like, do you want your name on the board? And I was like, Oh, I, I mean, I don't know what that means. She's like, Oh, you know, so you can see your stats and stuff. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, fine. It's quite useful to see. Anyway, went into this class and like, there's a leaderboard at the top and you basically are put in like the numbers of who's coming first, who's coming second. Honestly, that is my worst nightmare because suddenly I was just sat there being like, oh my God, everyone's going faster than me. I'm really rubbish at this. Oh my God, I'm never going to come back. This is terrible. I can't sprint as fast as her. And you know, it's just like, I feel like sometimes the comparison culture within fitness, within life in general can really cause us to take a backward step. And actually like, as you said, we're probably never gonna be the best or the fastest or the strongest. So rather focus on what you can achieve personally than kind of that whole, you know, what's your fastest PP? <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, totally. This is the thing. The thing about data is obviously, like you said, rightly so, there is benefit to having it. And I think the good thing about data is, yes, it allows you to track your own progress. It allows a coach or, or somebody that you're working with to set you goals and to measure those goals and not just say, oh, I'm doing this. And often, you know, you know better than anyone, just sporadic training that just doesn't really mean anything. So I think data, if used properly, yeah, can help us to progress. It can give us this benchmark to. Look back on and say, this is how much I've improved. Measure your own improvement. That is the only way I would suggest using data to benchmark yourself, come back, you know, do the same thing again and, and see if you've improved. But to that point, you know, you just described about the class you went to is so interesting because I know that for some people that idea, they're like, oh my gosh, yes. Like If they're a little bit competitive, you know, sometimes people just coast along and they do the same thing. But as soon as that leaderboard kicks in, as soon as they feel like, oh, you know, I want to overtake someone in front of me, or if they've got that competitive element, I think, even sometimes if they haven't it comes out and suddenly they're like right and they they work harder etc etc but if you know you're that kind of person then you're going to choose that kind of environment or that kind of class but you know if if, for example if you if you just said that's your worst nightmare then you don't need (laughs) to worry about like comparing and 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 thinking oh what's this because also the interesting thing there Alice is you could have been looking at the board and next to someone who literally maybe spinning or cycling or whatever, maybe that's their thing. And they do that five times a week or whatever. And so that's always the interesting thing. Cause if I go to a strength conditioning session where I had to lift or a kettlebell class or something, I'm the one who's, and again, it's so funny how instructors sometimes wrongly will stereotype us. Cause I had an experience once where I went to a circuit class, I will not say the name. And the instructor pretty much took one look at me looked at my body type, I've got an athletic body and went, oh, you need to be lifting heavier than that, took the kettlebell off me that I had and gave me something heavier. Not knowing that I'm a trainer and that I don't lift. So I was kind of, Mm. I don't lift often. So I was thinking that's the first way to injure someone because I'm not used to lifting weight like that. And so, yeah, it's
1: interesting, these kind of different, I don't know whether they're, what are they called, methods, classes, whatever, where- Motivators as well. Like, yeah, like I can completely relate to what you're saying. And also I definitely get your point of, those things work for some people, completely yeah. agree. Paddy, for one, he was in the same spin class as me and he absolutely loved the fact that his name was on the board because he was like, I'm beating all these people. This is amazing. <laughs> Whereas for me, I'm sat at the back going, oh my God, this is awful, get me out it. So yeah, it's, it's it's totally a personal thing. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. There are there are motivators that work for some people and there are stuff that really doesn't. And for me, that's just one of those that doesn't. But anyway, I wanted to move on because I want to talk about your podcast because it's, I mean, that I listen to a lot. I absolutely love it. And you have some amazing guests on there. And you've really had some people who I find are slightly different to the average podcast guest and bring, you know, an element of expertise and motivation and just kind of really make you feel as though you want to get up and do something. But is there anyone who really sticks in your mind as being someone who you particularly learned from or felt really inspired by? Oh gosh, Alice, so many of
0: the guests on my show. I don't know how I'm going to do this because I mean, I am just, that is a tough one. I've had over a hundred episodes now and thank you for for saying that about the show because yeah, I do put so much into it. I guess... All of the Olympic athletes that have been on my show, I think I'm a little bit obsessed with the Olympians because the dedication, the real, real commitment that it takes, often they've dedicated their lives since being young adults or young children to the pursuit of excellence. And it can take years and decades. And I just find that so incredible. You know, they're not Mm -hmm. out there doing it for performative reasons. They're not doing it for the six pack. They're not doing it for the Instagram. Like they have been really showing up, you know, putting in that work. And I just, I'm always so inspired when I speak to Olympians. I just, I just, whatever, whoever whatever discipline they're in, swimming, track and field, gymnastics, whatever, I, you can't help but feel inspired by, by the Olympians. And I did an episode with James Clear, who is the author of Atomic Habits. And when I listened to Atomic Habits a few years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this just kind of simplifies, but also really goes into the depth of, you know, habit formation and, just, it's just, he's just so wonderful. The way he articulates habits, the way he talks about it makes it so simple, but you're like, this is this just so great basically. And his episode, I felt a little bit like a fangirl. I was kind of like, you know, got on and I was like, oh my gosh, James, I've read your book and this and that. And he was like, all right, cool. Like he was so laid back and so cool, but his episode was brilliant. It was really brilliant. He's so articulate and so smart. So yeah, really, really enjoyed his episode and would recommend that to anyone who's kind of thinking, where should I start? Because as I said, 100 episodes, they're all different, all different guests. So depending on what you like, hopefully there's something for everyone.
1: Mm. Now, I'm going to make a really clunky segue now, <laughs> but only because I wanted to squeeze this in because I know that it's a it's something that we both have in common, and I think it will be really helpful for some people, even if they're not coming at it from the same place as us. But I wanted to talk about confidence, basically. You and I both came from a performance background, and I think it's an industry that quite literally sort of forces you to be confident, even if you're not. You know, you have to, you know, teeth and tits is basically what we were told the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, where does your confidence come from? What do you think was the kind of thing that really helped you to be confident in that environment when a lot of the time you kind of just want to run and hide Um, particularly thinking about like audition settings and stuff where do you think yours came from?
0: Yeah well that is a great question because honestly Alice I think if you'd have asked me this in my 20s I probably would have had a different answer for you but honestly when I reflect back now when I was at school so for anyone listening doesn't know what I look like I'm, I'm mixed-race I have afro hair I'm light-skinned black woman and when I was at school I was amongst all white girls all white girls I was the only woman of color and I guess you know when you're 12, 13, 14, I think a lot of people can relate to kind of wanting to be like everyone else, you know, wanting to be the same, wanting to be a wallflower. When you're in high school, you do not want to stand out for any reason, let's be honest. But I never had that option of, you know, like it was, it I always felt like I stood out in a way. And so once I, I guess, got to, you know, dance school and performing arts school as you know it is a it's pretty dog eat dog you know it's pretty like I sometimes I think I describe it in my book as the hunger games you know like going to auditions it's that brutal sometimes yes suddenly (laughs) for the first time in my life I felt like hang on a minute standing out might not be such a bad thing after all because I was looking around uh, I remember in my my audition for we will rock you in the west end like I said there was 200 girls or some sure there was something like that because we went in groups of like you know 20 20 20 and there was hundreds of girls and I remember looking around then and thinking a lot of these girls look the same you know they're all similar height similar body type similar color whatever and there was probably like as as always you know being in a minority there was less black women there was less mixed race women so it's interesting because I guess in some ways in my life that's that's maybe knocked my confidence but in those moments I felt it gave me more confidence because I thought you know what I'd say the last decade we've really embraced this you know be unique and celebrate yourself and all that but I think I adopted that kind of early and I was just like you know what the golden thing here is that there is only one me. I am going to be my full self, exactly how I am. I'm a little bit too much. I talk too much. I'm a little bit too loud. All of these things I've been told my whole life. And I just thought, I'm just going to own it. I'm just going to be myself because there ain't nobody else doing that. There ain't nobody else being me. So that was one time, I guess, when I started to feel more confident. And then I think later on now, like I said, I'm in my 30s. I think now I have more confidence because of lived experience. And unfortunately, as much as that isn't going to help somebody listening if they're 21, I think I just, over time, have learnt, as I said, there's times when I've had to try and dim my light or try to change to be different because, you know, oh, those people are really cool and really laid back, like fashion and PR, like, oh, let me just try and be chill. And I can't be chill. Like, I'm not chill. So instead of trying to be like that, because that's, you know, I just was like, eventually you just surrender to who you really are and just knowing, Adrienne, that's who you are. You know, I can't, when I'm with the mums at Jude's school, try and be like that or when I'm in a different mm. environment because it's not who I am and actually mm. it's interesting because I've made some really wonderful friends through through motherhood but I've also had some honestly Alice you think that those drama school days are bad just you wait to the play, playground mafia there's some <laughs> like, honestly I remember having one experience at this nursery that my son went to where I literally felt like I don't know, it felt like it was mean girls back at school who'd had kids. And I was like, what is going on? And I remember them and someone said like a mean girl comment to me. And I kind of thought, you know what? I'm not going to try to like, yeah, be like them. And I just was like, this is who I am. See you later, whatever. And it's like through lived experience, through age, through just different things. I've just really, I guess, yeah, accepted that I am who I am. Some people might love it. Some people might not like it. Some people might really be annoyed and be like, oh gosh, it's just too much. But it's just ultimately who I am. And I think you can always try and flex and change and be adaptable. But who you really are innately is is who you are. So yeah, I don't know when it comes to confidence. I think it's uh, it's not something you're born with. It's not a personality trait. You're either confident or you're not. It's it's something you can work on or something you can cultivate. But mm. for me personally, it just yeah, I guess it's just taken time. So if I'm if I'm this confident now, wait
1: till I'm in my forties, then we'll see. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that you said that in the in the fact that. One of the things that I've recently been talking to my therapist about is this idea that I actually find it really difficult not to chameleon to whichever group I'm in Mm. because I'm so desperate in many ways. uh, And I think we all are, and this is me being totally honest here, to be liked Mm -hmm. and to be accepted. I am very good at being like, well, I'm just going to conform to whatever group I'm in and I'm going to agree and I'm just going to stay quiet because that will work and it will mean that I'm liked and I'm accepted. And it's only recently that I've been working through this stuff and being like, well, hang on a second. It's actually one really exhausting having to like constantly feel as though you're having to change who you are to fit the group you're in, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, who am I with today? Okay, let me be that person. And then who am I with tomorrow? Okay, I'm going to be slightly cooler now for those people, you know all that kind of stuff is exhausting. And then secondly, like you sort of start to lose a little bit of who the real you is, like who, who is Alice? Because she's that person for those people. And she's that person for this group. And suddenly you start to be like, well, actually, what is it that I stand for? What do I like? Who do I like? What do I want to do with myself? And I think that's a really empowering thing. And I think it's something that I'm really trying to lean into and learn is that you know, you don't have to be the same as everyone else. And actually, as you said earlier, sometimes our best quality is, is being different, you know, mm. that you don't have to be the same as everyone else, that you can be unique. And that actually is really special. And it's hard to learn sometimes because, again, going back to what I said, we all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. And sometimes it means that you won't buy everyone. But actually, is that a better thing? Because you'll end up attracting the people that are really your tribe.
0: Mm, oh my gosh absolutely and just being yourself as you said when you're not it's so exhausting and being yourself is so freeing honestly Alice I can say to you hand on heart that I feel more myself than ever before in every aspect of my life my relationships my career everything and it's taken time but as you said it's so exhausting trying to flip-flop and be everything for everyone and try to you know please everybody else and and I think that actually as you were as you were talking then actually what I was thinking was I do mentoring for, for young people. And so I was talking to one of the young people that I mentor recently on her call. And she, something she said was about normal. And she was like, Oh, you know, that's normal for my friends, for people, my age, she was like, that's normal. And I was like, okay, you know, it's cool, but it kept coming up again and again. And I kind of said to her, I was like, you know what, if you want to do something that you feel like it's not normal, like this social norm or like within your friendship group, then actually challenging her to go, is that such a bad thing? So like when you just said then about sometimes, you know, just being yourself and knowing that if everyone's doing that, but you're not as much as it might sound simple, you know, for a young person or teenager, if you really think about it, doing normal things or the kind of the idea of the social conformity and almost like a mediocrity, really like don't rock the boat, don't be too much, don't be too little. Some of the things that are just see deemed to be normal I said do you want normal outcomes for example for everything in your life you know people that we've just talked about Olympic athletes you know people that do incredible things or achieve things do they do normal things to get those outcomes and she was like oh yeah I didn't think of it like that and it's like sometimes even things that I do now probably every day some people would say well that's extreme you know when I say to people like I don't drink carbonated drinks or I move every day people some people will literally say to me "That is extreme." I don't think that's extreme, but I think what they seem, because they'll say it's normal, you know, drinking Coca-Cola, is normal. And it's just a silly example, but I was kind of saying to her, just because something is normal doesn't, you know, if you want normal outcomes, then do normal things. And yeah. she was like, oh my gosh, she was like, I don't want to be normal anymore. <laughs> like,
1: yes. But you know, this is stuff that like, I wish... And it's only stuff that I'm, I'm 20, 27 now. It's stuff that I'm only working through now that I look back at my time as a teenager and the friendships that I had and the things that I thought were normal. And I now think to myself, God, I was literally like desperately clinging on with both hands to maintain popularity and, and be in the cool crowd when actually I'd probably have been way happier just sort of being myself and maybe attracting a slightly different crowd. Okay, I might not have been the most popular person, but I think I'd have been a hell of a lot happier. And it's like this this obsession that we have with, like you said, like sticking to the social norms, like not being too much, but not being too little, but fitting in. And I think, you know, I, I like to see when people challenge those things, because it wasn't something that I felt I was able to do when I was younger, and something that even now I'm really trying to have to actively work on. And I think, particularly I hear from a lot of women sort of my age who say really similar things about, you know, you get to a certain age in your life, particularly with, I think, with friendships more than anything. And you sort of look around you and you go, is this this the right crowd for me? You know, like, are these the right people I should be surrounding myself with? Uh, And maybe it just comes with age. You know, we've spoken a lot about, you said earlier, you got older and you learn and you grow. And I think that's an important part of life. I don't think we should pop out the womb knowing everything. (laughs) But um, jumping in on that about,
0: you know, relationships and friendships and how sometimes they can change and they can evolve. And sometimes you change as a person and you evolve as a person and your friendships can as well. And I think it's really you know, it's empowering to make those decisions and to say the way I kind of measure it now, because I meet so many people and I'm such a people person. I just love to, you know, meet new people, et cetera. But the way I see it now, when I talk to people about this is, who brings out the best in you and who do you bring out the best in them? Whether that's a romantic relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a family member, do you bring out the best in them? And do they bring out the best in you? Because of course, you know, we're human beings. It's not always going to be perfect. But I think if there's a relationship in your life, I certainly had friendships that I don't have anymore with people who they did not bring out the best in me. I don't think they wanted the best for me. And I must have not brought out the best in them because I seemed to really rub them up the wrong way. And it's like, what are we doing here? Why are we trying to remain friends when it's not working? Because, you know, obviously we must have been friends maybe when you were 16 or maybe met when you were 20. And actually, Mm. you're not the same. You don't have the same common interests anymore. Maybe you've got different lives trajectories one's got kids one hasn't different careers and actually you kind of feel out of obligation or to stick with this old you and this old you know sense and it's like you know what life is way too short for that it's it's too short so yeah if you're bringing out the best in them and they're bringing out the best in you great if they're not let it go
1: completely and also to add to that, you are also allowed to change as a person. You don't have to stay the same person that you were when you were 16. You can change and grow and learn and evolve. And that means that the people around you when you were 16 might not be the people that you want or need around you when you're 25 or 35 or 40. Mm. And I just think that's also really important. We kind of hold ourselves to the account of the the 16 year old that we were. And actually, I think change is good and change is Oh my gosh, yeah.
0: Because when people say that to you, oh, you've changed. I'm like, yes, thank you very much much because who wishes i do not wish to remain the same and to live the same life do the same things wear the same as if like change your hair change your postcode change your career change whatever you want because actually as i've said so many times this life, this experience is to be lived once and once only. Why not have a variety? Why not fill it with different things? And, you know, again, people will talk about with this career, like, oh, you're, they're flaky or they've changed their thing. No, we are multifaceted people. You can have a multi-hyphenate career. You know, listen, when you introduce me and it's like, oh, I do this and I do that. I'm a marathon runner one day. I'm a mum. I'm a podcast host. I'm an author. You can be all the things and they can still be, authentic parts of you you're not it's not fake it's not a different hat it's Mm. me same head same hair with a different hat on it but you can be multifaceted and celebrate the reality of change and yeah exactly like I've changed so much in the last 10 years and I'm glad about it I'm glad
1: love that And I think I'm going to wrap that part up because I absolutely love it. And I think that was a perfect note to end on because I think, yeah, really important stuff that we talked about there. And I could talk to you about it for hours, but I'm going to bring it back to the power hour to finish because it's where we started. And I think it really is at the core of everything that you practice and do. Um, And because I love it as well. Um, So for anyone that's listening, if someone wants to take a small step to carving out their own power hour following today's chat, they felt inspired. They think, "Yeah, you know what? I think that might be something I want to try and do. Where's the best place to just start?"
0: Oh, okay, great. Well, the best place to start is to decide why. Why do you want to start getting up early? What is the thing you're going to focus on? Why? Do you want to get up in the morning and have more time to do a mindfulness practice like journaling or meditation or breath work, or do you want to get up early in the morning and work on a passion project or work on a fitness goal? Pick something and decide the night before. Don't leave it till the morning to make that decision. That's not a good idea. So Start the night before, make a decision. Why do I want to get up early tomorrow? And what am I going to do in that time? And then remember, remind yourself if you have to, that it is not a punishment. It's not a punishment to have to do this. It is a choice. You are choosing to reclaim your time because it is important to you. It's the most valuable thing that you have. It is finite and we cannot get more of it. So pick something for yourself and decide that's what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And then remind yourself, this is a choice. I'm an adult. I am choosing this. I'm choosing myself and start with whatever you want to do. It doesn't have to be perfect. If you do it once, if you do it twice, if you do it three times, if you fall off one day and you go, oh, I didn't do it. That does not mean that it's not for you. doesn't mean that you're a failure or that you're lazy or that you're not a morning person. It means you're a human and we have ebbs and flows. So just commit to practicing it, commit to trying it, commit to giving it a go. And I really, really hope that you enjoy it. Make the most
1: of the hour. Yeah. And also, please do share with us. If you do give it a go and you try something, let either Adrian or I know and um, let us know how you get on. Um, yes. Now, Adrian, to finish the podcast, we always end with the same two questions. Um, so I'm going to throw them at you. Really bringing it back to strength, which I guess is where the podcast was born from. So first, I wanted to ask you, what does strength look like to you? Oh, I love that question.
0: For me, strength looks like the ability to endure and to be resilient, and that doesn't necessarily mean doing everything on your own. But I think there's a real strength in knowing that you can trust yourself. That you, whatever's happening, good or bad, you can endure it. You, you know, you're made of strong stuff because, yeah, you've you've survived everything so far, and yeah, you can endure.
1: Love that. And then finally, who in your life demonstrates strength the most?
0: Oh my gosh, this is such a tough question. Honestly, I can't pinpoint it to one person. I'm sorry if that's annoying, but I'd say the people that demonstrate strength the most to me right now are the women in my life. I think so I'm surrounded by so many women who are doing incredible things, whether it's in service of others, whether it's putting themselves and their work out there in the pursuit of helping others, whether it's raising their children whilst running their careers. Like Honestly, the women in my life inspire me because I just see Endless strength and with everything that happens throughout life, you know, caring for elderly parents, going through divorces, all sorts of things. And I just think there's, yeah, women's strength is, uh,
1: unmeasurable. That is incredible. And I completely agree with you. And I have many people around me similarly, who I think are just amazing. So yeah, love ending on that note. Adrian, it's been such a pleasure. You have been such a wonderful first guest for the next series. I mean, I could literally sit here and chat to you for hours. (laughs) But thank you so much for your time. And hopefully we've inspired people to start their own power hour following this episode. So let us know how you get on. I really hope so too. Thank you so much for having me, Alice. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I have a little request for you all if it's not too much to ask. It really, really helps if you rate, review and subscribe to the podcast as it means that others can find it and hopefully gain from it too. We have a new episode dropping every week, so stay tuned and thanks for listening.